that we would walk out of here looking different because you worked inside of us, that we responded to your call, that your Holy Spirit did something in us, God. God, we, we truly do praise you. We ask that you would work in our hearts today. Amen. Good morning. For those that have ventured out, I've got a couple of uh, couple of things I wanted to share as we start off this morning. First, I wanted to actually just to give a thank you. I know that today is uh, a day that we celebrate Veterans Day, and I know that some of you have served and seen uh, a lot more than I ever would want to see, and I say thank you. I am very thankful, and I want to pray a blessing for those right now, just over those who are here um, and over those that we know, family and friends uh, who are veterans. God, I, I ask right now in Jesus' name that you would provide a blessing today for those veterans, God, and not, not a blessing that's short-lived, that's just for today, but something that goes beyond today, something that encourages them in a time that maybe it's even tough to think back. Maybe, maybe remembering being a veteran is not something that's enjoyable, God. It's not something that brings peace. I pray right now in Jesus' name for peace on those that went through so much for the safety of many. And God, I praise you that we have that example in Jesus to put ourselves away for the sake of others. And I pray that that would be our, heart, our heart's call, God. That you would move and work and speak to us, God. And that we would see that you've called all of us, that we are in the middle of a, of a spiritual war that has casualties all over the place, God. And let these men and women that are veterans around us be examples. And may they be honored today. In Jesus' name, amen. I wanted to have you guys turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Or tap into 1 Corinthians chapter 12, however you do it, paper or digital. While you're turning there, I wanted to, to ask a question. How many of you were the sibling or the friend that always was the imitator, the copier? Come on, raise your hand. Just one? None of you were the annoying sibling that always wanted to copy and imitate just to get on someone's nerves. Uh, there we, okay, there we go, a little more. How many of you have ever got yourself caught in, in, in a scenario where you realize that you were imitating someone else? You realize you hung out with them for so long, you started laughing like them, you started sounding like them, you started doing things like them. Some of that comes from just watching and, and, and being around someone. You start to kind of pick up certain traits. Some of it comes from a, a fear or a, or a weakness because you don't, you don't want to look different. Most of what we see in, in peer pressure and in society and especially in social media is this constant search for, I, want to, I don't want to stand out in the wrong way. A, a lot of times people would, uh, back maybe 20, 30 years ago, would always want to focus if I don't want to stand out. And now it's I don't want to stand out the wrong way. Because standing out is cool, so in order to be the same as everyone, I have to stand out. And it, there was a little twist there. We get to a point in our life where sometimes we process things and say, what would this person do? What would this organization do? What would this book say I should do? What is this group saying I'm supposed to do? And one of the things that is important for us as we get into 1 Corinthians chapter 12 is Paul starts going through, and this is all over. There's four books in the New Testament, including teachings from Jesus and the Gospels, that talk about the danger of sameness. The danger of what we would call, if you're familiar with the word, uniformity versus unity. That everything being the same is actually bad. Everything being uniform and exactly the same is bad. It's unhealthy. 
And what I love about it is that God didn't even call us to be the same. He called us to imitate only one thing, Jesus. After that, he said, I made you all different. And all of you work together and fit together well. If you're married today, you're glad that your spouse is different than you. Very glad. There's something about a difference that, that is, it's, it's not only important, but it's attracting. And it works together. So this morning, as we look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12, I want to go through the first 11 verses were last week. And one of the things we talked about was God's will, God's spirit, God's power. And a lot of times when we think about teachings on the Holy Spirit, we immediately go, like I said last week, we go to one extreme or the other. We go to this one fear or excitement, I'm going to run around and hang from the chandeliers and scream out things that people can't understand, or I'm going to go to the other side and say, that's already done, it's over, the Bible recorded it, and then it was done, we didn't see it anymore. Both sides are wrong. And the reason I say that is that it's impossible to advance the spiritual kingdom of God without the spiritual power of God. None of us at all naturally want to advance anybody else's cause but our own. It's absolutely true. Every single one of us got dressed for our own desires and own comfort today. No, I didn't. I did it for somebody else because you wanted them to accept you. That's what we all do. We love advancing our own cause. Some of that keeps us alive. That's a good thing. I advance the cause of not getting run over so I don't run out in the road. There's things that are good in advancing our own cause. But realistically, most of us really don't, and I'll be the first to say it, we really don't care about each other on a regular day-to-day -day basis. And I'm not saying that to be mean. I'm not saying that because I'm mean. It is. It's a constant processing thing to go, wait, what would someone else want? Why do I say that? Because Jesus said it constantly. Paul said it constantly. Peter said it constantly. John said it constantly. Why? Because we're all human. None of us really, truly thinks about the other. But it's with the work of God, which is why when we get into 1 Corinthians 13 next week, it's because of the work of God that we can think of each other. And so the work of the Holy Spirit is not something that is simply a, a, a moment to begin some weird things happening. The work of the Holy Spirit is God himself choosing to dwell directly without any mediation in his human creation again. Why? So he can advance his cause. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 starts to, to end, and 1 Corinthians 13 and 14 start to talk about the end of this movement, Christianity, to an end of perfect agape in the kingdom of God. There is an end to the work that God's doing, but it hasn't ended yet. We're still in the advancing movement. One of the phrases, you'll see it in the podcast, I usually put a little snippet of the teaching and some quotes in there, but, but God has designed the movement of the church to not simply be a club or, or something that we push our own agendas with, our own ideas with, but it is literally supposed to be a hell-crushing movement of freedom. That deserves an amen. I know we're tired this morning. That's a stinking amen. Because God didn't call us to a stroll downhill. So the gates of hell will not prevail, which means the gates are being attacked. Are we attacking the gates of hell? I can't do it on my own. But with the power of God, it does happen. So we talked about God's mission, God's purpose, God's design always gets God's power. The Holy Spirit. If I've chosen to go around or against or advance my own cause, I have to push out and make it appear as if the Spirit is working and moving. 1 Corinthians 14, I can't wait to get into. There's some really neat stuff that Paul talked about related to how the Greeks used to worship other gods and so on, but that's for a couple weeks down the road. Today, I want to start at 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and you can scoot down to verse 12. We're going to read through that, and then there's some, some things I want to kind of chew on with you guys. All right, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12 says this. Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body. I think we all can understand that, right? We have all of us, most of us, I do have a friend of mine that's missing a finger, but most of us have fingers and toes and hands and everything. But if our whole body was simply a finger, it's kind of a useless body. It, in fact, it can't even do the job of a finger without the things in the arm and in the hand and in the shoulder and in the spine and in the brain and everything else. The hand has no purpose without all the other parts connected to it. 
There's no value to it. So it is with Christ, he says. For we were all baptized. I don't have the chance to go into to all the theology that helps put away some of the confusion around the Holy Spirit, but it says that we were all baptized, and then Paul begins to talk about all the gifts and so on later on. Well, maybe one day we'll get into that in deeper, but for we were all baptized by one Spirit so as to form one body. So what that means is I can't say, well, I've got this gift and so on, and, and, and you don't have it, so therefore, if, you don't, if you're not like me, then you're not a Christian. Not true. It's not true because being samey doesn't make us Christian. It's being like Christ that does. It's, it's fitting into some mold where if you do a certain thing or say a certain thing, and many of us have been in certain uh, uh, belief systems and, and, and movements and so on that would say things like that to us, that would, that would push and say, well, unless you're, you're like this and you're conforming this way or you're doing these different things, you're not a Christian. I'm sorry, that's not how Scripture teaches it. That's how cults and religion teach it, but that's not the movement of Christ. Christ said, come and follow me. Well, after you change out from, you know, those pants and put on a dress, ma'am, and, and well, after you, you, you cut your hair, hippie, or after you, he didn't say any of that. He said, come, follow me. And, and, and God's whole approach is that come as you are and I'll make you who I want you to be. That's his whole motivation. So as we continue on here, keep in mind, Paul's going to start drawing some pictures about kind of the foolishness of wanting to be the same, the foolishness of judging because we're, we're not alike, and the value of all of the differences truly make unity. So let's look at that. Chapter 12, keep reading in verse 14. I'm sorry, half of verse 13, let's finish that. Whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, we were all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Now, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. And if an ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not be for that reason that it stops being part of the body. Paul's comparing dishonorable parts in that, that culture, in the Corinthian culture, to honorable parts. The foot versus the hand. The ear versus the eye. Dishonorable to honorable. Well, I'm, I'm not like them. So I, I, maybe I'm just not even really that important. Maybe that's one of you. I'm not, I'm not like that person. I'm, I'm, maybe I just I took a spiritual gifts test and I failed. You, but if you ever take one, you can't, you can't fail it, by the way. It's a joke. It's not true. The second that we get caught up in, in looking around at other things and going, well, I'm not like them. Trust me, if you walked in their shoes, you wouldn't want to be like them because you're not made to be them. You're made to be you. You're not made to be anybody else but you. And it's so important for us as Paul continues to go into here, he starts looking at this. Look at this with me. Verse 17, it says, if the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? In fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. Who wanted the body parts where he put them? God. Guess who doesn't have a choice and shouldn't say anything about it? Me. I'm not the almighty creator of the universe who designed life itself. Just a servant. Just a servant. Some of us love to offer, man, I'm a klutz. Some of us love to offer a, a commentary on what it is that God did and how he designed things around us. We love to offer up a, a, a whole bunch of advice to him. You know, God, well, if you do this, I'd be on board with you. And we struggle with contentment. We struggle with comparison. We struggle with depression, we struggle with anxiety, we struggle with all kinds of things because of that. Because we simply are looking at God going, God, you didn't do it right. Look at me. Or maybe we look at it and go, man, God, you were working really well. You were like at the peak when you made me. And we think we're the most amazing thing since sliced bread. Or like peanut butter and jelly in the same container, right? 
Then again, you know what they call that. Goober. Verse 19, if they were all one part, where would the body be? If we were all a hand or all a foot or all an eye, would we really be a body? No. We'd be one of those, like, if you ever watch those sci-fi shows where someone gets melted, or if you ever watch Doctor Who and, and you have this, like, one big eye and it's, and it's talking telepathically or something like that, you would just be a freak. And I don't mean that in a mean way. I mean, that's the definition of a freak. It's an unnatural humanoid type of thing. It's just not how it works. It's not useful. If God wanted the gospel to be preached audibly, and he made everybody eyes, it's going to be really awkward blinking out Morse code, Jesus loves you. It doesn't work that way. Verse 20, as it is, there are many parts but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. The head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. Paul's now smacking the Corinthians in the face mercilessly because the Corinthian view of people who worked, people who were thinkers versus doers, there was a huge divide in how they treated society. If someone was degreed and thinking and, and intelligent, they didn't lift a finger. They didn't do anything. In fact, if they did do something, they were insulted by the other people around them who weren't doing anything. And so sadly, that began to kind of squeeze its way and move its way right into the church. We talked about it when we mentioned communion and eating a few weeks ago. And the same thing, Paul's still going and clarifying this as he continues. Verse 23, and the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put, that's the second time now we see a God hand, a God-ordained thing happening. But God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. I think we can actually agree with that if we think of our own bodies. If you're walking along the middle of the night and you catch one of those, uh, it's, uh, it's an alarm system slash terrorist control device. It's, it, they're, uh, I think they call them Legos in the regular world. On the ground, barefoot, right? And you step on one of those. Is it just the, the little square inch of your foot that hurts? No, your soul leaves your body for a second as you curse, and then it comes back because that's not fun. Your whole body is affected by it. If you've never done that before, you're probably still a kid that leaves Legos around. The worst for me was one of my sons loved jets. And you know, you know the little tail on the jet that pokes up? I had that thing buried fully, not, not in the ball of my foot, not in the heel of my foot, in the soft underbelly of the arch of my foot. My whole body hurt. Everything in me hurt. I didn't want to exist. But then contrast it with something else with our body. If we eat a delicious meal, isn't everything just right? It's perfect. In a few weeks, our whole body is going to be happy. We'll then be comatose for a few hours. It's just we enjoy that. And well, then afterwards, usually we're just like, okay, never mind. My whole body hurts now. But we can actually relate with that, that when one part suffers, we all suffer. How many of you have ever caught a pinky toe on, on the table of, of that, that little end table that you hate, but you leave it there, but you catch your toe? I had a, a, something in my parents' house, and it was a, one, some little flowery, cushy little thing, and it had these flaps that hung down. I had that thing catch my pinky toe, rip that thing out 90 degrees two times in a month. Now, the first time that it cracked out, it was, this hurts, I don't want to exist for a week. Then two weeks later, when I caught it again, you just want to give up on life. It's over. It's over. It shouldn't have moved that much the first time, and I don't want it to move that much the second time. When one part suffers, we all suffer. We know that in our own human body. But do we realize that in the spiritual world? In, in other books, Paul writes and says that as we, 
as Christians, if we choose to not be advancing towards Christ, not be growing closer to Christ, that we cause our brothers and sisters in Christ to actually be drawn back like we're anchors to them spiritually. When one part of the spiritual body of Christ suffers, we all suffer. If one of us chooses, you're like, you know what, I'm going in cruise control for a few months. I'm, si- I'm sick of struggling. It's been hard to really follow God. I'm just, I'm just going to cruise for a while. We just said I'm okay being an anchor to my brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, I don't know that I ever thought about it that way. When I said, you know what, I'm feeling good. I'm not going to go do my devotion time this week. I just got a lot of stuff I'm doing. I drag my brothers and sisters down when I do that. I'm not the brother that people need. I almost said brother or sister, but that only works one way for me. Verse 27. Now he says, kind of as like a final, a final picture, he goes, now, get this, now, you're the body of Christ. Okay, understand this, he says, and each of you is a part of it. You're not only just a part, but you represent the whole. I was talking with some guys this week about just Christianity and and what we do with our lives, and, and as we walk through life, you know, what do we carry, what do we do, and, and, and who's watching, and so on. And I said that as Christians, when we advance through life, we're not just carrying our name or our father's name or our parents' name or, or, or our friends uh, as we ride in their car. We're carrying the name of Jesus. We're carrying him around. And Paul makes it clear that I'm representing you as I, as you call yourselves Christians, when I walk around and identify myself with you, I'm saying we're the same. We're, we're united underneath the same name, Jesus. Are you okay with that? Am I okay with you saying the same thing? I, I do have a funny story. I, I had a guy that w- I was talking with and worked with him for a while, considered himself a Christian. And I heard him saying some stuff that was just wacky. And over the course of a few months, I really kind of came to believe that he wasn't really a Christian, but really loved the concept of Christianity and church. That He just really didn't seem, I, I really didn't know his heart, but he didn't seem to be gripped by God. And I had one of uh, the people he had worked with previously come to me and talk with me. He goes, hey, can I talk to you about so-and-so? I said, well, what do you want to talk about? He goes, he, just, he said this thing to me the other day about God, and I'm just not sure. And I said, well, what did he say? And he shared it with me. And I said, yeah, he's not speaking for Christians on that one because that's just not true. That's his opinion. I said, here's, here's, here's what it says in Scripture. And I hate having to do that in that conversation and say, yeah, he's not speaking for God. He's speaking for himself. He just didn't like that he didn't know an answer to your question. Sometimes, sometimes, especially with Paul here in the book of Corinthians, he was reminding them not only do they represent themselves being a part of the body, but they represent Christ and others being part of the body. Verse 28 says this, again, the phrase God has placed, God has put, God has placed in the church, first of all, apostles, before I read this, in the Greek as you go back through this, this is a descending order of impact and priority in the kingdom. Descending order of impact and priority in the kingdom. So he says this, and God has placed the church in the church, first of all, apostles, those who are advancing and beginning to plant and, and grow leaders. Second of all, prophets, those who are speaking the truth of God. Third, teachers, those who are actually desiring and, and pu- putting a focus on people, understanding and learning. Then miracles, working of supernatural. Then the gifts of healing, of helping, of guidance, and of differing kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues or other languages? Do all interpret? In the language there, the answer is no for all of those. It's a negative language when the question is asked that way. The answer is no. We all don't. We're not all the same. Then he closes with something that's been used or misused for a long time, and I'm only going to read the first half of this verse because the next half of the verse moves grammatically in chapter 13, which we'll study next week. It says, now eagerly desire the greater gifts. Well, the problem is, with that verse, many, many, many people have decided to leave the verse on its own and define what the greater gifts are instead of reading the previous verses. Instead of reading when it says earlier on in chapter 12 when it says that he gives the Spirit for the common good. 
That's the greater movement in this entire section grammatically. So the greater gifts are the gifts that advance the common good of God's mission. And so he says, first of all, apostles and so on. So what's interesting is the Corinthians, they were all about speaking in different languages. All about it. But it was confusing. We'll get into it in a lot more detail in the coming weeks. But here's where I want to start this morning. Because all the way back in the beginning of verse 12... Paul said, just as a body, though one has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. He made something very clear that I wanted to kind of bring up as far as a point for this morning. God has given us, as Christians, he's given us the tools, and you can put in there in parentheses in your notes, gifts. He's given us the tools, and not just the tools, but he's also given us power and directions. So not only has he said, you have a drill, but I'm giving you instructions and a battery, now go. He's given us everything to accomplish his purposes, though. If God hands us a drill and a battery, and here's how to use it, and we say, well, God, I just, I want to be a plumber. How successful of a plumber are you going to be with that tool? The answer is not very. You can say that out loud. It's okay. Not very. We're not. The reason is, is that that's not the tool that God put in our hands. And, and oftentimes the struggle, and Paul dealt with this, the struggle is sometimes we start to compare. We start to get worried. We, we start to, to look at the differences and think that the differences we don't like. I don't want to be different. I, I don't want to look different or sound different or act different. I want to be unique like everyone else. But we forget that the work of the Spirit, as it continues on here in verses 13 and 14, starts talking about one body, one Spirit, one God with a big mission. It gets us to this next point this morning, and it's that the work of the Spirit, this is, this is so important because I think we miss this when we think about the Spirit, when we think about the Holy Spirit. This has been an argument across, you talk to anybody you talk to anybody and you say the gifts of the Spirit or Holy Spirit or something like that, it doesn't matter what circle they run in, they will have had some kind of experience related to the Spirit from somebody else or them personally. And this is, this is something we have to remember, that the work of the Spirit is about making God look good and guiding others closer to Him. That's it. There's nothing in there that's about experience. There's nothing in there about my own personal benefit in some way. It has to be something that starts first with God looking good and others being closer to Him. How do I justify that? Well, I just feel like it. I like that verse. I, I, that's the Joe Bible right there. I like that because I said so. That's how it is. It's a joke, by the way. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 11. I quoted a little bit of 1 Peter last week. He takes a moment and says, listen, the temptation during trials and temptation is to push harder and, and, and to try harder in our own physical abilities. But here's what he says. He says, listen, if you're going to be speaking or teaching, do so as one who's speaking the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. The working that we're called to do as Christians in the Spirit has absolutely nothing to do at all with my own strength, with my own desires, with my own perspective, with my own push or draw. But it still doesn't change the fact that sometimes when we look around, we see different gifts and strengths. And I want to just challenge us all. I, I wanted to use different words. I wanted to find a way to, to unattach the concept of the spiritual gifts and so on because in English, most of us in America, like I said, we immediately attach something to spiritual gifts. Unfortunately, we, we all too often attach negative things. There's, a, there's an uncomfortable nature to a conversation on spiritual gifts. 
There's something where we're like, oh, man, what, what are they going to do? Is someone going to touch me or shake me or someone going to fall over or someone going to start saying something strange or whatever? And, and in the reality of it all is that has nothing to do, if that is what we're trying to advance ourselves, that has nothing to do with the work of God. That is advancing someone getting attention. And I'm not trying to be mean. If we're not going for God and we're not according to Scripture, we're doing it for us. Done. And it's very important to realize that when, when Peter, who's writing to people in this horrific time, that he's saying, if you're going to be speaking and preaching, realize you need it to be God's words, not your own. That means you need the Spirit to be empowering you. If you're going to be serving, you're going to be advancing the cause of the kingdom, you need to make sure that you're doing it in God's strength, not your own, guys. This is a verse right here that I got charged with by a pastor friend of mine who was a mentor. He said, listen, Joe, you will absolutely guaranteed burn out if you do it in your own strength and abilities. There are some very charismatic people out here. I'm not talking spiritually charismatic. I'm saying uh, very much um, high degree of, of, of engaging personality can really have a lot of emotion and passion. And they burn themselves out because everything that happens is a regurgitation of truth, but not by the inspiration of the Spirit. And if you, you ever get to a point in your life where you're feeling just cooked, you're feeling burned out, you're feeling like you can't do it anymore. Remember this verse. And I'm doing this on my own. Sometimes the answer isn't to stop doing it, but to do it in God's power. Sometimes the enemy wants us to go and try it and just say, you know, just push a little harder, try a little more, go this way. Look at this person over here. They can do it. You can too. But Paul didn't say, I can do all things, because Frank does it too. He said, I can do all the things that God is asking me to do because of Christ in me. That's what he says. Not because of any other strength that's in there. And it's important for us to remember because Paul then goes into verses 15 through 17 and says, well, because I'm not, I'm not part of the body. Because I'm not, I'm not part of the body. You know what that is? It's comparison. He's dealing with comparison, which... Let me just be very clear in, 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 in one phrase. Comparison is a trap. It's not something where you can just look at it and go, oh, look, I'm comparing. As soon as we get into it, we're hooked. Because guess what? We're right. We're not like them. And we feed off of a truth, but it becomes a lie because we think it's bad. Well, I'm not like them. You know, the church isn't like what, what I want it to be, or, or, or my marriage isn't like this, or my friend isn't like this, or my money, or my car, or my looks, or whatever it is. I'm not like them, so something must be wrong. No, the opposite is what's true. Because I'm not like them, something is right. Because God made me that way. Comparison is a trap, and here's, here's the flow of comparison that Paul gets into. Comparison is a trap that is fed by pride. Why do I say that? Because we're looking at somebody else thinking that we're the standard or they're the standard and not God. That's pride. When we get caught in that comparison trap and we start be having it fed by pride, we move into the next piece. The only way that we can succeed in the trap of comparison is to compete, is to try and make it a little bit better to try and be a little bit louder, to be a little bit stronger, to be whatever, to be a little bit more beautiful or whatever it is. Or the opposite. We compete by not competing. We compete by just pulling away, by hiding back, by covering up. We pull the hoodie strings even tighter so we've just got a little breathing hole. Whatever it is, we pull away. We disconnect. It's just as much competition as it is swinging. When we're caught in that comparison trap. Next, there's gifts, there's prizes. You know what they are? Depression and anxiety. Nothing is more depressing than looking at something I can't change, being different, and then not being happy with that. Nothing is more anxious than to constantly look around going, oh my gosh, I'm not a hand, I'm not a foot, I'm not this way. I, I've got to be the same as them. We can't be. So what do we do? We lose our mind. Constantly trying, I want to be this way, I want to be that way. I want this to look this way. I want, I want the hair or the clothes or the car or the thoughts or the talking or the people or the marriage or the friendships or whatever it is. I want it to be just like them because I created me to be that way. No. The very thing that we are hating and pushing against and fighting against and doing is the very reason God made us. 
to be different. So Paul is saying, listen, just because you say I'm not like them doesn't change the fact that I made you and put you in the body, God says. Comparison is horrific. And, and, and the thing is that we have to be so careful with. I'm not here to demonize any type of platform that we use today, but I'm here to warn that today over any other day in history, we have more options to compare than ever before ever before. One second, one scroll on Instagram this morning, and I could be completely depressed. Why? Because I don't look a certain way, sound a certain way. Wow, their church service is bigger. Wow, they've got more people. While they have people on the stage singing. While they have this, while they have that, all this different stuff. And I'm, I'm not like them. We can immediately compare. We scroll through on Facebook or Twitter or something and go through and just look at things and just sit there and look at the situation and go, man, my, my, my business isn't this way. My passion isn't this way. My wife or my husband or my friends are not this way. So therefore, because it's not the same as I wanted, something's wrong. There's nothing wrong. We're exactly how God designed us to be, different. So the issue actually doesn't come with how we've compared the issue comes the fact, with, with one big issue that we get into, it's the first thing of, of dealing with this comparison trap. God doesn't really ask us if we see value in his design in the kingdom. He isn't asking us to go, well, that's different and I don't like that. Or that's not the same and I don't like that. Whatever it is, he's not asking us. We're not walking out and God's going, hey, I've got an opinion box over here. Just go ahead and drop what you think of how I'm doing things. He doesn't care. I'm just going to be really forthright. He doesn't care what our opinion is of how he runs things. Most high, almighty, I am the becoming one. We are servants. We don't even have the ability to understand the slightest bit of what he wants for my life at this very moment, let alone other people's lives or this entire world or all time. I just really need to be content being a servant. God gave me hands to do a certain thing, I need to just do it. If God gave me a gift to do something well, do it well. It's for his glory, not my own. And it's when we start to seek our own glory that we're like, well, they're getting attention and I'm not. Because it's not about us. It's about him. It's about his motivations. Here's the challenge that God, who I'm going to put a question up here because this is something God said to me. This has been over the past couple of weeks, maybe even months. And because I love you, I'm going to share it with you. God said, Joe, rather than complaining what you aren't, ask God what he wants you to be. I wish I had a mic to drop. Like you, we could, you could, that's, like a whole, that's like a steak made up of like pure sinew. You could chew on that thing for days and still never be done with going, God, I'm sorry for complaining about what I'm not. What do you want me to be? I taught a similar message to this probably 15 years ago to a group of first through third graders. And I said something similar to this, but we had an action that I trained them on before. It, it, we used to teach a, uh, at a church. There were about 130, maybe 120 first through third graders at this church. And I taught a 20-minute message for them. And one of the things that that I taught on was how to deal with always asking God, you know, what do you want with my life first? Not what I want with my life first. God, what do you want with my life first? So I asked how many of them know what an alarm sounds like, and they all made this alarm sound with their voices, and I said, okay, we're gonna, I'm going to have two of you come up here. You're going to make an alarm sound. They stood up in the front of the stage, and then I said, okay, when you kids make the alarm sound, I want all of you kids, you to lay down, you're going to pop your heads up, and the first thing you're going to say is, I don't want to get up. No. The first thing you're going to say is, I'm tired. No. The first thing you're going to say is, God, what do you want to do with me today? So we did that five times. And the kids had fun screaming and, you know, like the dumb and dumber, most annoying sound in the world. So immediately, all the kids' heads pop up. God, what do you want me to want to do with me today? 131st through third graders screaming that out. Five years later, I'm still teaching in that group of people. One of the third graders is now serving in the ministry. Someone made an alarm sound, and he came up to me. He goes, I still remember when you taught that. I said, what were you supposed to say? He goes, God, what do you want me to do 
What do you want to do with my life today? That's important for us to remember. It's important for us to connect when we stop and pray that maybe this is the only thing we have time for. Instead of saying, God, all the things that I don't like about today or me or others, why not say, God, what do you want me to be today? What did you make me to be? Because if we define ourselves by the job or the profession or whatever, we limit God. I've changed professions three or four times all throughout my life just because I'm still the same Joe that God wants to bring in different places. I did desktop support in IT. I did work within uh, actually doing advanced IT work and leading IT teams. I then completely left technology and went into business and then strategic business marketing and sales. Then I went into project management and back in IT. I've done pastoral work and, and church leadership work over the years. All those different pieces. But the thing that's never changed is who God made me to be. Paul introduces his letters with what? Paul called to be by God. Do we really realize what we're called to be by God? The temptation. Paul says in verse 19, if they were all one part, where would the body be? The temptation really to be same, it's a power play. It's a power play by me. You know why? Because if someone's different, I can't control them. I don't know what they're going to do. So in order to make sure I can control them, I want them to be the same. Do you realize that that's exactly what happens when governments take over, when military groups take over, is they create either in the same location or the same professions or the same thinking through all kinds of this. World War I and World War II used what? Propaganda. So everybody thought the same thing, even though it was wrong. Trying to make us the same is a power play for us to get comfortable to feel safe, to control that situation just enough that, whew, okay, I know I can control this. I know I am in charge of this now. It's not true because we're not. Our value in life doesn't come from my own perceptions, my own desires, my own abilities. You'll see the next point that our purpose doesn't come from my perceived value. Whatever I perceive as valuable in my life or perceive as valuable that everybody should have the ability to do, that doesn't determine someone's purpose. It's who God's made us to be. It's what God has put in us. Three times throughout this section of Scripture, God uses the phrase, uh, uh, through Paul, says God has put, God has placed. So when we think about purpose, realistically, the the big purpose for us, our highest purpose is found in his goals, his will, and his purpose. So when we are, are complaining about what we aren't, we're ignoring his goals, his will, and his purpose. We sang that first song this morning, I am who you say I am, God. We all sang the words, I am who you say I am, God. Well, until I have this thing that I don't like, either we are or we aren't. Are we who he says we are? It's important for us to, to realize the transition that Paul makes, too, as he goes into verse 20, I'm sorry, 21. He now gets into a series of phrases that say, the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. I don't need you. Paul continues to use kind of a set of negative statements to get across the point of not a matter of learning how to say we don't need each other, but actually pushing the opposite for us to realize how much we do need each other. And I put up a phrase that I've heard a lot of. We don't need people. We just need Jesus. You know, in some ways, kind of sounds nice. Kind of feels true. Just like a brownie recipe with just a tablespoon of dog poo, and it kind of looks like brownies. 
But there's something in here that's against God's design. This isn't a true statement. But I will say that of different places that I've had the opportunity to minister, Alaska is a place that almost lives off of this statement. I don't need anybody else. It's me and Jesus. Sorry, that's a lie. That's absolutely not true. In fact, I'll just put it up there. Lie. It's not true. If your hand all of a sudden decided, you know what? I don't need the arm and jumped off. How long is it going to be useful? Never. We need each other. Let me, let me just be very, very clear. I need each of you, personally and in ministry. Sometimes we're tempted to say something along the lines of uh, whether we're getting involved at a church or just, just sharing, you know, hey, you know, I really want to do this or, or I want to find a way to bless these people or whatever, and then we follow it up with, Ah, but they probably got it taken care of. No, they don't. They don't. I'll tell you right now. I don't have it taken care of. I don't. I'm busier than a one-legged man in a butt-kicking contest every day of my life. And I need you. And let me be even more clear. I need you to be different. I scare myself. I don't want more of me. I'm good enough with just one of me. You guys probably are the same. I'll take two of my wife, though. She's pretty awesome. I do. I need you. I wrote it right here in my Bible. Can't see it, but I'll prove it right there. I need others. But none of us, none of us live that way. We, we buy into the lie that either they've got it taken care of or we just ignore it. What about the one person on the side of the road? Oh, the next guy will get it. No, they won't. We could. You know how many people I've shared? You know how awesome it is to share the gospel with someone who can't go anywhere? I'm, I'm the one putting on their tire. I'm like, I'm going slow because he's not listening, you know, and I'm just, oh, drop the lug, Sorry you got to listen to the gospel message again. Hey, we've got a puddle over here because it's, it's warm out. You want to get baptized? Paul did it all the time. We're trapped on a boat. I'm going to share the gospel. All these psychos are in this huge area. I know they're wanting to kill me, but can I go out there and tell them about Jesus? We've got all kinds of opportunities, and what a better opportunity. I can't think of one than someone who's trapped and needs help in any way. Now, I do have to say that I am a little bit spoiled. I got a, a text message this week, and I got some other uh, questions of, you know, do you need some help? Everything all right with you guys? I, I'm definitely blessed. I think all the awesome people are here at Rise. Don't, shh, don't tell anybody else. But we get caught up in a lie that we don't need somebody else. My wife said to me in our first two, three years of marriage, I know it's hard to believe, but I was an absolutely arrogant and impossible to deal with person. I know, I know, I know. She said to me, we've been married for about two years, she goes, I don't know how you're going to take this, but I just feel like you don't need me. And I looked at her, I'm like, well, of course I need you. She's like, well, tell me. Tell me what, what way you need me. Because you, you already do all these basic things for you and, and, and all these other things here, and you're good at this, and you're good at that, and you never ask for this, and you never ask for that, and you never ask for this, and you never ask for that. You literally don't need me. And she, <laughs> and she was smart. She goes, and don't say because of this. She took that one away. I'm, I'm sitting here. I'm like, oh, man, I'm going to get this one. Oh, yeah, I, I need you, babe. No. She was right. I had decided to just press through life and act like I didn't need her, didn't need anybody. 
How many of us today have decided that we are not only an eye, but we're a hand, we're a foot, we're a finger, we're a, we're a head, we're every part of the body. You know what that is? You know what that's called? Blasphemy. Because we are saying that God did something that He didn't do. It's not true. You're not all that. I'm not all that. God is all that. And He made each of us with individual set of abilities that work together. You all know that. Whenever I've done marriage counseling or parental counseling, you know the first thing I deal with? The one who's passive and the one who is more aggressive. The one who typically wants to, you typically have two types of parents. You have the hammer and the pillow. Always. And if you're giggling or laughing, it's because you're like, yeah, I'm the hammer. There's different personalities in all of that. They, they work together. Those are giftings that God gave us. And to be honest, I think sometimes we over-spiritualize this phrase, giftings. I know it's gifts of the Spirit, and you can't over-spiritualize it in, in literal terms, but we do. We tack onto it this feeling and this nature that's just simply not there. God says, I'm going to give you literal, supernatural powers that you do not possess on your own to advance my kingdom and to bless others. Done. And he doesn't even put a complete list in the Bible. He just says, I'm going to give you gifts from on high. And I've had that happen before in my life. Where I just, I'm involved in a situation and I get done with it all and God's glorified. They're like, man, where'd that come from? I'm like, I don't know. Well, I do, but I don't know. It was God moving and working. I didn't understand how, I didn't understand why, but he got the glory. I'll tell you sometimes I've had these these moments where I, I preach a message and I get home and I'm like, wow, that was terrible. It would have been better for them to watch, you know, some horrific horror movie or something. And then I'll get a message from someone going, God spoke to me in a way that I've never been spoken to before. And I know right then, praise God, it was not because I was emphatic or special or funny. It was because the Spirit of God was moving. He works in ways that I can't understand, I can't design, I can't squeeze it together and and, and make it happen my way. So what it forces me to look at is God's design, God's purpose to see that God has put the body together. You'll see that there, verse 24. God has put the body together. God has designed it so there's not division. God has designed it so that our physical body mimics the spiritual body, that if we hurt or they hurt, we hurt. If they're blessed, then we rejoice with them. And here's the thing that I want to look at a difference in. As Christians, a lot of times we have to differentiate. Do we hurt for others or just feel sorry for them? When someone's struggling, do we give an awe? Aw, stinks to be them. Or do we really hurt? The challenge is God has not called us really to sympathy. He's called us right here in Scripture. He's called us to empathy. Have you ever wept because someone else was hurting? Now, I'm not saying you're a bad person if it hasn't happened. What I'm saying is that's what Paul is comparing here. Paul is saying that if the body around you in Christ is hurting, you have to be so closely knit, so dependent on each other in Christ, that if they're hurting, you're hurting too. So the temptation is, is that when things start to get a little too close, we back away. Why? Because we, we, we might show emotion or something, or, or, or we might get dependent. God's never told us that. God's statement, when we get independent, is what? Draw close to me. When we start having pride issues, it's because we've decided to trust in us and not in his design. His whole goal is to unify us together in him. Scripture says that they will know that we are Christians because we have the right rules and the right version of the Bible. No, they says we will know, they will know that we are Christians by our unconditional give-a-care for each other for each other in the body of Christ. Can you imagine? Can you imagine if we were to take a picture of what the body of Christ looks like sometimes to the world? It's like, it's, it's like putting like rabid animals in a cage. Saying, look, they, they love you. It's just a friendly chokehold. That's all it is. I know he's not breathing, but he's got the gift of healing, so you know it'll, it'll be okay. 
That's what we do sometimes. I'll know that we're Christians. Our testimony, like John, uh, Jesus prayed in John chapter 17, our testimony will be the fact that we are unified and as close together and as different, but for a common person purpose, as Jesus and the Father and the Holy Spirit are, but they're still one. And that's his call and his purpose in us. And that's the reason for the gifts is that we're so different that we become the same in him. One same unit. One same mission. Here's what I want to close with this morning. We have to realize that the spiritual gifts are owned by God and borrowed by us. It's His work. So if it's His work, it's His ownership, it's it's His gifts, that means He has a prescription. He has a purpose to His power. It's not just simply something that happens, and I choose to use it how I see fit. I choose to use it how I define it. I choose to use it how I've described it or perceived it. It's not how it works in life. That's why the temptation to say, well, God, I don't think you made me right, so I'm going to change it, is wrong. We should rather look at, God, what do you want me to be? What have you designed me to be? And I, and I have three questions to close with this morning. Here's the first question. Do you know who God says you are? Think about that. Do you know who God says you are? At a high level, do you know that God says something specific about you as a son or a daughter? And not only at a high level, but individually, who God says you are, that you are empowered with these things that he's given you and strengthened you with. Do you know who God says you are? Next, maybe you already know. Do you agree with what he says you are? Do you agree when God says that I have made you this way? just not good at it though God it's not like someone else it's not like this way it's not like that way do you agree and and let's advance one one more level into this question not only do I know not only do I agree because it may be yes I know and I agree God has done this here's the final question then are you Are you who God says you are? Because there's many times where we say, yep, pastor, absolutely. I know who God says I am. He's given me this gift and strength, and and every time it happens, man, it's just awesome. I watch God work and move, and and I agree. He's he's really gifted me in this way. Are you, though? Is that what your life is centered on? Centered on walking out how he has designed you to walk out this life. I was joking with a group of people uh, related to music this week. And it was about four people, and I, and, I, and I said, you know, they started asking me questions about, hey, is there, is there this person or that person? And, and uh, we were talking about different gifts within the church, and I said, I said, actually, you know what's funny is you know, seven or eight people signed up to, to do this jam session and kind of go through and just enjoy doing some music. And there's probably twice as many more people in the church that I know of that are gifted in these ways. And I said in response, I said, or actually they said in response, well, why aren't they here? And I said, I don't know. I think we all struggle sometimes with really believing it. I think we all struggle sometimes with abuse because we had a gifting that a man or a pastor or some sort of church leader decided to go, well, because you're good at that, you're going to do it all the time now. It doesn't change the fact that that's what God designed us to do. And it may not have anything to do with rise. It may have to do with something in your own home, in your own community, in your own neighborhood, in your own job, whatever it is that God has designed you or me to do, and we're just simply not doing it. 
We are gifted with it. We were designed that another part of the body needs what I have. I need what you have. God has joined us together at this time. What you have is giftings in the spirit. I need, and the person next to you needs that. Are you who God says you are? I can't answer that question because it's between you and God. I can't force the answer to that question. I'm not going to walk up to you and go, hey, you know, I know you can do this. Why aren't you doing that? Because at that point, you're going to get convicted by the flesh. You're going to get bothered by it. And you're either going to run or you're going to do it at a duty. And neither of those things are by the Spirit. So that's between you and God. And that's how we're going to close in prayer this morning. You can go ahead and put your Bible and your notes away. It's not a typical way that section of Scripture about spiritual gifts is taught. But I'm a firm believer in the fact that we don't have to worry about what the gifts are if we're trusting and submitting to God's will and his mission. We don't have to worry about, well, is this really a gift of the Spirit or not? It doesn't matter if we're not submitted to God. It doesn't matter if we've chosen to disagree with who God says we are. It doesn't matter what we define it as. We need to submit to him first. So let's bow our heads this morning because I want to pray. I want to pray with all of us this morning. Because here's three things. If even, honestly, if you're not a Christian today, who God says you are actually has to be the most important response you make ever in all time. God says you're his creation with a design and a purpose. And I don't care what anybody else says. If you want to pray this morning to know who God says you are, everybody raise your hand. You can, and I'll pray with you this morning. Amen. 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 Maybe the struggle is agreeing with who God says you are. You, you got, a, you got a, a Christian brother or sister that's saying, you know, this is where you're strong. And you, and you just keep looking at go, ah, no, 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 I, I, I don't know if I can do that. I'm not good enough for that or whatever. But people and God continues to make it true. It's time to agree with God. Raise your hand this morning. I'd love to pray with you. Just letting go. Amen. Amen. here's the final part, which is the most important part, and this is going to be the prayer. Are we who God says we are? Are we really living that out? I'm going to pray, and you guys can just say this quietly this morning. God, I want to be who you say I am. Help me to not complain about what I'm not, but to look out and ask you what you want from me. God, I want to be all that you want me to be. I want to trust you with my everything and submit to your will, God. This came in my mind that maybe there's part of those hand raisings had to do with comparison. And we can just pray right now that, God, I ask to stop comparing, to stop looking at the world or people around me, and look at you, to trust you for your guidance and your power. And God, I, I close this morning out with a prayer answering the question of, am I who God says I am? Have I really sought that out? heard from God, and then agree with him, and then do it. God, I pray that we would all be that way in our life. I pray that we would not just simply know, we would not just simply have this, this feeling or this, this passion, but we would actually have action in our life of what you've called us to be and do, God. God, I just 
personally apologize for not being who you've asked me to be and how the body just suffers because of that. And I know that others in here have that same passion to not be a burden to the body, but to be a blessing. Lord, I pray that we would work together to advance the kingdom. God, for the many that weren't able to make it today because of the weather or, or whatever it was, I pray in Jesus' name that you would touch them too. That your Holy Spirit would be all around them, God, that they would be submitted to your will and your strength, God. In Jesus' name, amen.